Hey everyone, it's Yavitz Djurjevic. Welcome back to another episode of Millennial Manhood. Brief intro here. Adam will actually be conducting the interview on this episode, which is a nice break for myself because I get to actually experience the episode the way you guys get to hear it. You know, instead of me conducting the interview when I'm editing it, I get to hear all the things um, from a very fresh perspective. So, one thing I wanted to say really quickly is it took me two tries to actually edit this episode because the first time I tried to edit it, I ended up with six pages worth of notes really listen to this episode. It's what Shay asked you. He is uh, an Ironman athlete and his story is just incredible. The the knowledge and information and just wisdom and motivation he talks about in this podcast episode is, is just fantastic. So I would encourage everybody to really pay attention and really enjoy what they're about to experience and, and go ahead and pre-order his book. I've, I've put the link into the show description. It's coming out in November. I think it'll be a fantastic read. Y'all enjoy. Hey everyone, this is Adam Roddy with Millennial Manhood. A really exciting episode for everybody today. I'm very excited to have Shay SQ on with us today. Um, Shay SQ's got a very powerful story. Um, he's going to be the one to tell it a little bit better than I will, but very excited to listen to him talk. Um, I think it's something that all of our listeners now could really get a lot out of and really just learn from someone who has not only found success and excellence, but pursued it um, and, and not let the, the trials of his life slow him down in any way. Uh, but without further ado, Shay, I, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and just uh, tell the listeners a little bit more about you. Thanks, Adam. It's an honor to speak to your audience here. Basically, my story started 1982, eight years old, and I was asked to warn my neighbors they had an aggressive yellow jacket's nest in the ground. So I recruited my seven-year-old friend. We walked across the street. We knocked on the door. The father wasn't home, but the 15-year-old daughter was. We proceeded to tell her about this aggressive yellow jacket's nest. She then asked if we would help her get rid of them. So, of course, we said, sure, what do you need us to do? She said, I don't need you to do anything, but just stand here and make sure they don't leave the nest. So we're doing our job. We're standing there about 15 feet away from the nest. She takes a match and throws it on the nest. Again, it's a hole in the ground. Nothing happens. We all know a match in and of itself does nothing. And as we're standing there watching, next thing we know, she picks up a cup of gasoline, stands behind us, pitches it, doesn't say a word. The gasoline hits me on the right side of my face and my shoulder, hits my buddy on his left side, hits the spark of a match, and instantaneously we are engulfed in flames. Luckily, I had the wherewithal to stop, drop, and roll. I put out my flames. My buddy was still standing there screaming. I was able to get a water hose and put him out. And then from there, we spent the next three months in the hospital. Uh, we were relocated to the Shriners Hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I received treatment from them for the next 13 years. And then over the last 34 years, I've had a little over 35 surgeries throughout the country. And so hopefully I'm done. You know, I've said that a few times, but hopefully we're on the downside of this now. So, so when all of this happened, I mean, how old did you say you were when, when this first occurred? I was eight. You were eight. Um, I can't imagine 
being eight and being able to fully process or comprehend what was what was going on and what had happened to you. I mean, I know that was a, a good while ago, but um, how was that as a child trying to to cope with the fact that things you did regularly you can't do anymore, or that your life was just so dramatically altered? You know, it's a great question. It's like most things in life that change everything. You can't prepare for major tragedies. You can't prepare for losing somebody. You never know how you're going to react till something happens. And I can tell you at eight, there was nothing that I'd experienced, read about that could possibly prepare me for the life ahead. My right arm was physically melted to my side. It took me over three years to lift my right arm over my head. I had to learn how to write left-handed to go back to school. My neck was stuck at a 60-degree angle that took several surgeries and total about 15 years for me to be able to hold my neck upright. And then on top of that, outside of just enduring the surgeries, the years of rehab, then I had to deal with the scars. I've got scars on 65% of my body. My right ear had to be amputated due to gangrene. Half of my face is burned, and the scars then look significantly different than they do now. Back then, they were about an inch thick. So I had to wear custom orthotic braces to soften the scar tissue, flatten the scars. And it's one of those things that no matter how much you tried to assure yourself things would get better, it really wasn't that bad, then you would look in the mirror. And there was nothing you could say to convince yourself it's not that bad. And this was also a period in time when the movie Nightmare on Elm Street had just come out. Oh, gosh. And as you can imagine, kids being kids, you know, I was in third grade. Many of kids would come up to me and say, hey, Freddie. Oh, gosh. Cried myself to sleep for months. And then finally, I just came to the realization that, you know what? No amount of crying, praying, nothing's going to make this go away. I just have to embrace it. This is my new reality. I need to move on. And I came to the realization that if I can't fix it, might as well have fun with it. And so one of the things that's been a big part of my coping was humor. And so at school when the kids would start out with their, hey, Freddie, if you know the story, then I'd respond, yes, and I'll see you in your dreams tonight. <laughs> Turning the tables. And so that's one of the things that you realize when you can start laughing at yourself, life takes on a whole different meaning. It's one of those things I don't care who they are. Most people have some kind of self-confidence issue. Everybody's hiding from something. And once you learn to embrace all of your insecurities, all of your imperfections, you realize life is pretty awesome. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that in 1982, the hospital I was at, I was surrounded by people that were burned severely worse than I was. And so at any time that I would ever start to reflect on, man, this really sucks. All I had to do was look over one or two beds, and I could see somebody that had no hands, no feet, no legs, or there was a five-year-old girl whose face was physically melted to her chest. And if she could walk around smiling and acting like it was an awesome day, how could I even contemplate feeling sorry for myself? And so for me, that's always been a big thing for my healing is that no matter how tough things were, I knew somebody else had it worse and they were not only surviving, but they were thriving. Mm. Um, when do you think, I mean, I'm sure 
it was a, it was a process coming to this realization. It's not, you know, not many people have those eureka moments where suddenly all wisdom just floods into their head. But, um, how long do you think it, it took you to kind of come to this realization? And, and after being in the hospital and being, um, bullied and teased by your classmates, I mean, how long do you think that took you to really mature that way? I would say it really started happening for me. Uh, it started in middle school, but it really started coming out in high school. One of the things that happened, so when I was first burned, the doctors told me, Shay, you'll never be competitive at sports again. Just due to all the scar tissue, um, I can't sweat on a third of my body. The other two-thirds of my body, I can't stop sweating. I have no nerves on a third of my body. And as I laid there in the hospital bed, I was bedridden and had to lay on my back for weeks on end. And above my bed was a piece of plexiglass. And I had all these get well wish cards stuck to the plexiglass. So when I laid on my back, I could read them. And one of them was an 8 by 11 poster autographed by Herschel Walker. Okay. Everybody knows Herschel. Yeah. And somebody had reached out to him on my behalf, and this was 1982. They won the Sugar Bowl, Heisman Trophy winner. And he said, best wishes for a quick recovery, Herschel Walker. And I just remember looking up at that eight and a half by 11 poster every day saying, you know what? One day I'm going to run again. And I decided for me, if I could become a great athlete, this would be a great way to overcome the scars. I said, you know what? This will force people to look at me as an athlete and not treat me as a burn victim. I didn't want people to see me as the burn kid. I did not want special treatment. All I ever wanted was an equal opportunity to demonstrate that I could do what everybody else is doing, if not do it better. So sports has always been an outlet for me. And I was fortunate enough that four months after getting out of the hospital, I started playing baseball again. A few months after that, I started playing football. My father had to customize shoulder pads because I have no fatty tissue on my shoulder or my arm. And then once I got into middle school, I started wrestling. This was a sport I started excelling in. Um, Three-time region champ, state runner-up, qualified as an All-American in high school. Then that led to boxing in college, was a three-time champion, never lost a match, got inducted into their Hall of Fame. And then it was after college that I got introduced to Ironman triathlons. And what I learned was getting burned had prepared me for these kind of sports. I learned very early on that I could no longer be competitive in sports that required finesse and touch, Mm -hmm. golf, tennis, baseball. I could not do well in those sports. But if it was a sport that required all-out effort, last man standing, whoever had the highest pain threshold wins. Those were sports for me, and that's why I felt I did well in boxing, wrestling, and eventually Ironman. And what's great about Ironman, the mantra is it's not who's the fastest, it's who slows down the least. Mm. And to me, that's what's so true about life. Nobody cares how you start out. It's how you finish. Yeah. And so many people love to talk about what they did in high school and even college. And that's great, but life doesn't end there. You know, I'm more concerned about what I achieve in my 40s and 50s and even 60s. That's where I plan on making my mark in this world. Okay. I mean, I I think that's an incredible one thing because I think men 
in my generation, I think in general, I mean, I think there's always this point in our lives where we reach that level of complacency. Uh, I, this is good enough. You know, I, I've done my part or, you know, I'm working, everything's fine. Um, I think that's very, very important what you said about uh, it's not necessarily about starting strong. It's about finishing strong and it's about not slowing down and not, not letting small successes stop you from the bigger successes. Um, at what point did, I, I know you, I know you talked about um, looking at that uh, message from, from Herschel Walker um, and you, you basically said to yourself, I'm not going to let this stop me anymore. Um, at what point when you were doing things, uh, did you really start seeing it and saying, okay, I am doing this now? Um, Cause I'm sure there had to be some doubts along the way. You know, there is. And it's one of those, I loved football. Yeah. Played football and I was competitive up until we got into high school. And that's when I had to compete against guys my age. It was no longer based on weight. Yeah. And I realized, you know, hey, a guy 5'7", 125 pounds, I really don't stand a big chance on the football field. I wasn't <laughs> fast, couldn't jump high. I didn't have the best of hands. They're not putting you on the O-line. No. <laughs> but when I started pairing up against other kids my size within five pounds in wrestling, that's when it came out. And it's like everything. When you start winning, you feel good about yourself. Yeah. And like – and that's why I love sports. You know, I don't care if you win. It's all about being competitive. It's all about being your best. And that's why I tell everybody, no matter what event I'm racing in, my goal is not to finish. My goal is to be competitive. And so many people say, hey, I just want to finish. I will never do a race just to say I finish. If I'm going to enter, I'm going to train for it. I'm going to give it everything. And most people have no clue that like when I do Ironman, it's not uncommon. I'm urinating blood before I even start the marathon. Man. And that's what I tell everybody. Imagine that. Imagine you're eight hours into a race. You're urinating blood, and now you got to run 26 miles on the world's hardest course. Been there. And that's what I always tell myself. What I went through at eight, I didn't get pain medication. We didn't get morphine. They amputated most of my ear while I was awake with a pair of scissors. The strongest thing I ever got for pain meds was extra strength Tylenol. So when they would take skin off my legs and sew it to my shoulders and my arms, they put staples in all the dressing changes when they would do the debridement, scrubbing you with uh, wire brushes, I got Tylenol. Mm. And so I tell everybody, I've been there. I've been to hell. I've seen what it looks like. There's nothing I'm going to encounter now that's any harder than what I've already been through. Once you realize in life that suffering is good, through we, through our suffering is how we grow, the world takes on a whole different meaning. So many people run from pain. They're scared of it. I embrace it. I know when it gets really painful, that's when everybody else is quitting, and that's when I'm going to step it up a notch. And so I look for those experiences where most people would not do it. When I finished college, I spent six months living in the woods trapping bears for a living. I made $75 a week and I did it because nobody else would. How many people would say I'd live six months in the woods trapping bears for a living? <laughs> Not right? many people. I even got attacked with. by one of them, but what an experience. And that's the way I've always lived my life. It's about experiences. At the end of the day, it's those experiences that shape our life. I can't live my life based on pursuing a dollar amount. Mm-hmm. 
I know money will come as a result of being passionate in my pursuits. And if people realize that if you're 110% in pursuing your passions, everything else will flow from that. The world looks completely different. People want to surround themselves with somebody that's passionate. Mm -hmm. And you meet very few people that are. But when you do, it gets your attention. And people want to know, what are you doing? Can I be a part of that? And then they will also go out of their way to help you be successful because they want to be a part of it. They don't have the guts to take that leap, but man, they're happy to help somebody else take it. And they want to be a part of that. Well, what would you say then to, you, you hear a lot of people joking about my generation and a lot of, a lot of young people these days about, oh, participation trophies. And um, on the flip side of that, you, you see people who they get to that point in their careers and like, well, I'm really passionate about this, but I feel like. I got to put food on the table. Yeah. So I'm going to keep at this job. What would you say? I know that's kind of two different routes there. Um, but to, to people who are in the generation of participation trophies and um, who feel like they don't have the time or the, or the money or whatever is necessary to pursue those passions. So I guess it's twofold. It's, you know, I've done the crappy work mm-hmm. and you know, one story I share with people is, so I went to undergrad, grad school at UT, got my MBA in finance, had a really nice job. And then I, I left that. I took an opportunity, bought a small um, underperforming company. That was a major turnaround opportunity. 9-11 hit. Things got so bad because half of my business was airline related. Oof. And I had to go six months without a paycheck. I didn't have a safety net. I didn't have rich parents to bail me out. And so I had to take a job at Home Depot, restocking hardware at night for $12 an hour. And I'll never forget the store manager said, Shay, you are overqualified for this job. I can't believe somebody with an MBA is willing to do this. And I told him, I said, Steve, you know, quite honestly, my landlord doesn't give a crap about my MBA. All he wants is his rent money. So at the end of the day, I have to do whatever it takes to pay my rent. But one of the things I've always took solace in is knowing that if you're willing to do whatever it takes to make ends meet, when times change, you're ready. And so I've, you know, I've driven a dump truck before for three months to pay bills. But if you know what your end goal is and you keep working towards it, even though you're doing other stuff in the meantime, but this is your focus, you will get there. And I can tell you, for me personally, in the past seven years, I was able to increase my income tenfold by doing this. And one of the things I'm a believer in is reading a ton of success books. And once you just inundate your mind with, here's what success looks like. These are the habits of successful people. I only want to surround myself with successful people. I will not engage in activities that detract me from my goals. You will not catch me watching TV in my house. You know, I mean, sometimes it's months before I watch anything. If I'm watching something, it's usually while I'm riding my bike or running. And as a sports fan, that's got to be a little tough. It it is. (laughs) But it's one of those things that I've given it up because I know in order for me to be successful, I can't waste time watching TV. I've got five kids under 12. Happily married 15 years. I travel. Thank you. I travel two to three nights a week for work. Three of my kids are in travel soccer. 
I compete in Ironmans all over the world. Just got back from South Africa two weeks ago. So I have a busy schedule. And so everything I do, I have to evaluate. Does this help me achieve my goals? If it doesn't, I can't afford to do it. So when the guys call and say, hey, come grab a beer with us at the pub and let's watch the football game, I can't do it. Yeah, It's not because I don't want to. I just know it's not going to help me reach my goals. What would you say then to, um, especially millennials are, are, there's a ton of jokes about about millennials. And uh, we talked about participation trophies a minute ago, but there's also the whole, I graduated with an art history degree. Why am I not a CEO? Um, and then on the, the other side, we, we grew up in the age of Facebook and all these distractions that I personally know tons of people get consumed with. They're always having to check um, who ate at this restaurant last Sunday for brunch. Um, I would just love, I know this is kind of an open-ended question, but your thoughts on, on all of that that you see and, and yeah, it's crazy. So <clears throat> to put in perspective, I try to target people that I think are very successful. Mm-hmm. And then I try to figure out how can I spend time with them to give an example. Again, this was, um, after I bought that flailing company, mm-hmm. after I did my time at home Depot, I finally got up. I tripled revenue in two years with that company. Despite 9-11, you know, it's one of the biggest recessions we've ever experienced. I came across a guy that was a multi-millionaire, very successful real estate developer. And I reached out to him. I said, George, I'd like to come work for you. He goes, Shay, I don't have a position open. I said, well, I didn't ask you if you had a position open. I said, I want to come work for you. So I sent him an email and I said, George, here's my proposition. I'm going to come work for you for three months for free. I will travel my own nickel. I'll pay my own cell phone bill. I'll bring my own laptop. You will not incur any out-of-pocket expenses. Here's what you're getting. Somebody that's got an MBA, somebody that's done M&A work, somebody that's owned their own company, somebody that knows what it takes to grow a company. What's the downside of this? Nothing. It's free. Oh, the only downside is I could become known as the face man in the company, but hopefully you're willing to learn with live with that. Yeah. So he responded back and he goes, Mr. Eskew, that's quite a proposition. In light of your situation, I'm willing to work out a scholarship to cover this education you're looking for. <laughs> Needless to say, at the end of three months, he offered me a very nice job. And I worked for him for three and a half years. Man. Still friends with him to date. Yeah. But had I just took his word that, Hey, I'm not hiring. I can't afford to hire anybody. Mm-hmm. Where would I be? And so I was willing to go in there and demonstrate. I could create value. And so many people are not willing to take that risk. And that's what I've always tried to do in life is say, look, I'm going to show you the ROI. I'm going to create the value. You're just not aware of it. So of course you don't understand what I'm worth. Mm-hmm. And that's hard for people to wrap their head around. And then you ask about social media I believe in it, but it should not be all consuming. And I'm in there to put a message out. My message is positivity. If you go read any of my Facebook posts, my LinkedIn posts, it's never anything negative. It's always about you have the ability to shape your destiny. If you're not successful, it's your own fault. You can't blame anybody. And it's also about anything that I encounter that's an obstacle, I see it as an opportunity in disguise. 
I truly believe obstacles is what deters everybody else from pursuing their dreams. And I know when the times get tough, that's when I'm going to shine because that's when everybody else is willing to throw the towel in. And so if you start looking at, man, look at all these roadblocks. Look at all these other people that have failed. To me, those are the ones you go after, right? I mean, look at what the benchmark has been set at, failure. So anything above failure, you're successful. And so I'm a big advocate of social media, but it's got to be part of your platform and creating positivity. But again, at the end of the day, I got to look at is it helping me achieve my goals? You know, I've got goals in business. I've got goals uh, personally. And my goals personally are to help others overcome their struggles, to let them know that there is a way out and that no matter how bad the situation is you're in, trust me, somebody else has been through worse. And so that's why I try to focus on Facebook, but like LinkedIn for me, it's in hopefully generating more business. I believe that if people know who I am, what I stand for, my credibility, they're much more likely to take my sales calls, more likely to have a sales meeting with me and be open to my message. I mean, I, I can't agree more. Uh, I tell people all the time um, where no matter what business they're in or what business they want to get into, the power of messaging somebody on LinkedIn randomly, um, somebody that works in an industry you want to be in or at a company you would like to be at or could just share some advice or calling them, emailing them, doing whatever you need to do is, is incredibly powerful. I mean, I, and I think I, I agree. I think that's the difference. I think there's you can use social media as a tool for your own success, or you can just be a zombie in front of a screen all day, just looking at everyone else living their lives, wishing that was you. Yeah, and to give you a few examples, LinkedIn three weeks ago, a lady sent me a message and said, "Look, I see you're going to be competing in South Africa. I live in Port Elizabeth, the town that you'll be racing in. Would you please have a cup of coffee with me?" I also was burned as a child. I met her for coffee. Got to meet her son. I posted the picture of us on LinkedIn. Over 200,000 views. Golly, that's incredible. And all the people we impacted. And then another situation, I stopped in at Starbucks to grab a coffee on the way back from a client meeting. The guy in front of me, I just hit it up, started talking to him about his running shoes. Kind of find out he's one of the investors in that running shoe, which is the same shoe that sponsors me. Really? This guy wind up writing me a check six months later for $10,000 to sponsor me to go compete at the Ironman World Championship. So I tell people, you never know where things are going to go, but I can assure you, if you don't put yourself out there, it's going nowhere. Yeah. Um, Just like today, I had a networking breakfast with a guy at First Watch. As we're leaving, ran into Scott Hamilton. Yeah. The gold medalist figure skater. Scott's an unbelievable guy. And I ran into him. I said, hey, Scott. Shay Eskew's, you know, we've met a few times. He goes, yes, I know somebody's trying to connect us recently. I said, hey, just want to tell you, loved your recent book. Finished first. Mm -hmm. Really spoke to me, you know, because he preaches the power of teaching people that it's okay to win. (laughs) That winning changes everything. Yeah. That's why I teach my kids. We can't always win, but that's always our goal. We don't enter anything unless we're trying to win. But if we don't win, it doesn't mean it's the end of the day and that you're a failure. But the key is to have these goals that you're always working towards. Like if you come to my house, I have a workout room called the Pain Cave. Mm 
<laughs> the pain cave. The pain like cave. That. And I've got a big whiteboard down there. Yeah. And I've got my uh, professional goals, but also have my athletic goals. And so every year, whatever the destination is for the world championship, I have qualify for. So right now it's qualify for Nice, France. That's where Worlds is being held next year. And so I see this every morning when I wake up. I see it every night before I go to bed. And this reminder that the workouts I'm doing every day, that's my goal. And it's also a reminder that if I'm feeling tired, that's why I'm doing it. I can tell you uh, two nights ago, it was 10 o'clock at night. I had to get an eight-mile run in, all intervals. Man. And I was so tired, I walked downstairs to walk the dog, and I saw qualify for Nice. So I started my run. Yeah. Finished 11 o'clock, went to bed, was back up at 4.15 to do my workout the next morning. And those are things that a lot of people could easily do to keep them accountable and focused on their goals, but have them written, have them where you see it every morning and every night. It's kind of like going on vacation. I don't know about you, but I always have a destination. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. But why is it when you ask people professionally, so where's your goal? Where are you going? Mm. Well, I don't know. I'm going to just see where it takes me. So imagine if you planned all your vacations like that. You would just be driving around, never knowing when you got there. So that's why when it comes to professionally, personally, if you have goals, you know when you've met them. You know what you're working towards. And when you get there, you say, I'm here. This is what I've been working towards. Now I can set my next goal. And if you don't meet them, that's fine too. You know, I usually have three to five goals every year athletically. I rarely achieve 80% of them. Mm. But I set big goals for myself. Yeah. But the ones I do hit, I take a lot of satisfaction knowing that, hey, I really put myself out there. You earned it. I earned it. My goal was not just to be a, a finisher, but I wanted to be a competitor. Okay. Well, speaking of, um, I know you you just recently got back from uh, that triathlon. What what goes through your head? Um, I think a lot of people they don't realize the amount of not that I have any direct experience with it, but they don't realize the amount of mental fortitude and willpower is necessary to get something through that. Um, I can't imagine some of these races, especially some of the more difficult ones out there um, at the level that you're competing with. What is the difference in your mindset after mile one versus mile 20? For me, it's one of those, it's really not that different because I've done the training, Yeah. right? I don't just sign up and say, man, I wonder if I'm going to finish. Yeah. I've put in the work. I know it. The hard work's done. Race day is play day. Now I get to celebrate yeah. all the hard work. And so training is a lot harder than actual race day. But when I train, I try to make it as tough on myself as I can. I haven't ridden outside in two and a half years. Everything I do is indoors. So every Saturday morning, I'm doing a three to three and a half hour bike ride indoors by myself in my basement. Like this morning, I did a 12-mile run on my treadmill in my basement. And that's pretty painful. Yeah. 12 miles on a treadmill. But my belief is if I can kill these workouts, once I get outside, 
I'm on fire. It'll be like a treat. Man, all the stimulation. I mean, this is just unbelievable. Yeah. And so I try to make the workouts as painful as I can. I used to do, back when I was doing the full Ironmans, a seven-hour workout every Saturday. No headphones, no training partner, nothing. I would leave my house at 5 o'clock on my bike. Then I'd come home at noon. So imagine seven hours you're working out. Nobody talked to, no headphones, just you and your thoughts. That's why now when I travel for work, a lot of things, a lot of the time I'll cut the radio off. Yeah. Just drive three, four hours, nothing. No cell phone, no calling anybody, just me and my thoughts. For those of you who listen to our podcast on the road, don't listen to that advice. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's actually incredible. I think I think way too many people. I think I think we often feel that we have to be bombarded by something at all times. I mean, I know I, I tend to love listening to something on the road. Um, but I think when you, when you grow up around that and there's so many things, you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to music, iTunes, the radio, someone else in the car. I, I think not enough people have that kind of uh, mindset of, of, of peace and, and, and focus and drive to, be on the road for that long with just your thoughts. I think that would terrify some people to be on the road. Well, with just their it makes thoughts. you mentally tough. I can tell yeah. you still to this day, anytime I run outside, mm-hmm. especially when I'm doing my long runs, yeah. never headphones, never. Okay. And so it's hard for people to imagine you go do a three hour run. Yeah. And I've never had a running partner in 11 years of training. Never. Really? All my long runs completely by myself, no headphones. Okay. And know, I do it just to make myself mentally tough. Yeah. And I I mean, I could probably draw parallels till the end of time on how that's helped you in business. Yeah. Um, uh, there's somebody else out there, David Goggins. Love reading some of his stuff. And his one of his big theories is do something you hate every single day. That's yeah. how you grow. Oh, yeah. And I'm a believer in that because once you do that thing that you hate, everything else it's gravy. Mm-hmm. It's easy. I, I mean, I, I I read up on a good amount of David Goggins. Actually, after our conversations, I started looking into him. And that guy is an absolute animal. Um, and he is. He's a beast. Yeah. He's, he's only, not PG rated, but no, no. <laughs> well, one of our earlier podcast episodes, we actually had to have an explicit advisory warning on. Um, we take people as they come here, obviously. Uh to transition a little bit, we mentioned a little bit about business. Um, we've kind of talked about it a good amount, but uh, we've talked about your your recovery. We've talked about your success in life. We've already talked about, to some extent, your success in business and as a, a triathlete and Ironman. Um, to, to young men, really anybody listening right now, what would you say day-to-day, every single day? We've talked about doing things that you hate. We've talked about having goals. Is there anything else that you would really recommend to, to people who are, they feel like they're stuck in that, that eight to five that they hate or they're maybe they haven't moved out of mom and dad's house. They, they feel like they can't land on their feet or what would you say to, to, to there's a couple things. So number one, I think if you start focusing on helping others achieve their goals, mm-hmm. you'd be amazed. Number one, the feeling you experience, yeah. but then how much they're going to go out of their way to help you. And so many people get so consumed about me, 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 me. Yeah. When they start saying, hey, I want to help so-and-so. I have the ability to help them achieve their goals. And that's taking me to a whole new level just by helping others. Uh, and you can also experience 
how they overcome their obstacles by helping them. But one of the big things for me was after I read the book, The One Thing. I don't know if you've read that book. I have not, no. It's a great book. And basically the whole premise boils down to there's one basic component in each aspect of your life. If you focus all your energy on this one basic component, everything else builds from that. So then I thought about, you know, professionally, what is that one basic component? I'm in sales. What's the one thing I could do in sales that my entire sales career would just spiral? Out of, I mean, skyrocket. Yeah. And I said, get in front of people. I truly believe if I could focus all my efforts on just getting in front of somebody, not trying to sell them, just get in front of them, my career would take off. Because I knew once I got in front of them, I could make a lasting impression that I would become memorable. I also knew I could easily build credibility and that they could see that I'm a reliable person. So one of the things we know in business that if somebody likes you, knows you, and trusts you, they're going to want to do business with you. may not be now, maybe two, three, four years down the road. But if you just focus on that, everything builds from it. And so I have focused all my efforts the last seven years on just getting in front of people. And that's how I realized a 10x increase in my revenue was focused on that. And once I started getting in front of people, they could see that, look, this guy's different. Here's a guy that's emailing me at four in the morning when he's getting up. By the time I got up at seven, this is what they're saying. This guy's already been working out two, two and a half hours. They want to know, what's this guy doing? You know, they want to find out why you live the way you live. Yeah. then they just want a small piece of that. So if you can focus on what is that one component in your professional life, your spiritual life, and your personal life, everything else will grow from that. I mean, I think, I think that's incredibly powerful. I think, I think there's way too many distractions and way too many people, um, including myself, uh, get so caught up on trying to make sure that these 100 things are all perfect at all times. Um, when probably simplifying my goals and simplifying down to that one component would probably help me way more than spreading my attention and time. So, and, Adam, and that's one thing that you hit on. It's so it's great that we can focus on this stuff, but we also need accountability. So with that, I'm a big believer in having a coach, mm-hmm. having a mentor. And so it's having a life mentor. So I've got several, I've got one business wise, but I've also hired a former Ironman world champion to help me on my triathlon training. Yeah. Then I've got a few, you know, that I go to for guidance for personal to keep me in check. Because if we're always just relying on our own observations and experiences, we're short-sighted. Yeah. So we need others to keep us in check and say, Hey, Shay, you're doing great on this, but you're completely missing the ball on this. And so I think that's one of the things so many young people miss today is having a mentor. You know, it used to always be when you took a job, you were an apprentice. Yeah. You had somebody that took you under the ropes, you know, and would show you here's what you need to do. And so I think that's the thing that if people would focus on finding a mentor professionally and say, look, I just want to learn from you. Tell me what I should be doing. And do it. Don't question. Just like the book I just wrote, What the Fire Ignited. I've been talking about this for at least six years. I reached out to a guy named Jack Daly through LinkedIn. 
This guy is 69. He's done 99 marathons on all seven continents. The guy is just a phenomenal achiever. So I emailed him and said, hey, from one Ironman to another, would love to meet you, buy you dinner, just get your insight on life. He responded and said, all right, let's grab dinner. We had dinner, hit it off. At the end of the dinner, he said, Jay, when are you writing your book? And I said, Jack, I don't know what I'm willing to give up to make that happen. I'm an all or none kind of guy. I don't want to half-ass anything. Yeah. He's like, that's crap. If I can write three bestsellers and keep up my schedule, you can do it. When I leave this dinner, I'm going to introduce you to my publisher. The rest is on you. Sure enough, he did that. Needless to say, within a week, I signed with his publisher. Six months later, I had the book out. Man. And so I told myself after that dinner, I said, you know what? This guy imparted his wisdom. This guy's been there, done that. Who am I to question him? I'm going to just do it. I did have no regrets of anything. Eternally thankful for it. But I really believe that was a God thing. And I think there's so many times in my life that God has put people in my life. And I try not to question those things. I try to go after them. And so many people are scared of jumping off the ledge. There's, and they always want these guarantees, but that's not how life works. It's when you see an opportunity and you know it, your gut tells you, hey, this is pretty awesome. Go with it. You know, I mean, you still got to be smart. You still got to do your due diligence and look at stuff, but go with it. And when you go, go 120%. Don't look back. Worst thing that can happen is you fail. I mean, I think that's, in, Kyle, that's incredible. Um, I think the, the mentor mentor part, like you said, is is so key these days. Um, the other host of this podcast, Yavza, he's, he told me once that every morning he texts or calls his father saying, these are my goals for the day. And when I was, this was years ago, when I first asked him, well, why, do, why do you do that? I mean, I mean, it's great that you have that kind of relationship. He goes, well, because I wouldn't dare at the end of the day calling my dad saying I didn't meet the goals that I told him I was going to achieve. And I, that was one of my first true experiences with saying how important and integral a, uh, a mentor can and should be in your it's life. Huge. Um, but other than that, uh, you mentioned a minute ago, but I would love for the opportunity real quick for you to, you talked about your book, What the Fire Ignited. Um, I'm sure some of the stuff that we've hit on in this podcast are some of the stuff that's in your book. Your book, I believe it, it releases, um, what is it? Is it November... See. November 6th is when 6th, yeah. guaranteed shipment. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping they release it sooner. Yeah. It's never fast enough. But yeah, you're right. Most of this is in a lot more detail in the book. Yeah. I was oh. gonna I was gonna ask what what will be in the book that that listeners now and, and hopefully future readers will will see in there that that we didn't have the time to necessarily cover or in order I think a lot of it's just walking through what I experienced, the rejection as a kid. Yeah feeling ostracized, feeling that when I looked around, nobody looked like me mm-hmm. from eight till even now, I never see anybody that's has these kind of scars. Yeah. And so that the key is you got to embrace your uniqueness. And I have never been able to rely on being part of a big group. I had to always create my own confidence and rely on my own self worth that I couldn't rely on somebody else to tell me what I was worth. I had to prove it. And so I'll walk people through a lot of those strategies that I've used over the years to help me get to where I am. Okay. Um, well, 
I don't think there's too much more. There's one question that we usually try to ask at the end of every episode. Um, and if it's, if you could tell something to yourself at any, at any point in time in your life, whether it was when you were a kid, uh, shortly after you were burned or whether it was later on when you were, when you're working at, at Home Depot, um, just trying to, to pay that, that landlord and pay that rent or at any point in your life, you could tell yourself something now, what would you say? I think for me, the biggest thing is always to remind yourself what is your main purpose here on this earth? Mm-hmm. That for me, as much as I love sports, at the end of the day, my kids don't care if I'm a great athlete. All they care about is, was my daddy there for me? Yeah. They don't care how many medals are on the wall. And so I'll never forget a pro athlete said, Shay, I always tell amateurs, you're better off being 100% committed at home and 85% fit yeah. than the other way around. And so that's one of the things I think so many people need to realize that you can't compare yourself to professional athletes and all these people you see in the social media. Compare yourself to what you want to be known as. Do I want to be known as a great father and husband or would I rather be known as a great athlete? You know, for me, it's as a father and a husband. That's what I want to be remembered most as. And somebody that lived life passionately was never fearful or failure. Because for me, failure is only when you quit. Yeah. You know, no matter how tough get times get, if you're willing to keep fighting, then it's not a failure. Well, I don't think there's a better way to end this episode. Shay, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Uh, for everyone listening, be sure to uh, check out his book on Amazon, What the Fire Ignited. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else that people can follow you on that you would like to uh, let them know. Big thing is, you know, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, also, you can go to my website, shaysq.com. And I think that's pretty much it. Thank okay. you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, no, no problem at all. Anytime. Uh, we'll put links to all of that in the description for this okay, podcast. Great. So for anybody listening, um, you should be able to click right below and get get right to your book, right to uh, your LinkedIn page and be able to, to follow or, or perhaps get in touch with Shay uh, however you can. But other than that, thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you've got a lot out of this podcast today. This was one that I was very excited to be able to do. Uh, other than that, as always, feel free to, to give us a like, subscribe, um, and more than anything, give us feedback. We're always looking for that. Uh, so feel free to email millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com. We're always trying to get more feedback and figure out who you want to see on the podcast, what you would like us to do, um, and if there's any questions, concerns, or, or anything we're doing wrong. At this point, all feedback's good feedback. But thank you so much, and I uh, hope you all have a great week. <laughs>